uh, we're in a series called You Make Me Crazy, and today we're going to talk about a very sensitive issue. We're going to talk about the issue of, of abuse, uh, physical, verbal, sexual, emotional abuse in relationships. The Bible tells us that in the last days, abuse is going to increase. Uh, people are going to become more and more abusive of one another. And abuse is at an all-time high in our culture. In fact, the leading cause of injury to women in the world is domestic violence. More than accidents, muggings, and rapes combined. Uh, domestic violence in the home from somebody that she already knows in the family. Number one leading cause of injury to women. Every nine seconds in the United States, a woman is assaulted or beaten. One out of every three women in the world has been beaten, raped, or abused. One in five teenage girls have had a boyfriend threaten them with violence. And studies show that women now commit half of all partner violence. Women are just as likely to abuse as men are at this point. Now the Bible's filled with examples of sexual, physical, and emotional abuse in a, in a variety of relationships. Uh, in Genesis 16, it says Sarah, that was Abraham's wife, was abusive to Hagar. Hagar was uh, a servant and became a concubine to uh, Abraham. It says Sarah was abusive to Hagar and so Hagar ran away. You know, domestic violence, domestic abuse started that whole conflict in the Middle East. Uh, Abigail says of her husband, a guy named Nabal, says he, uh, he's an alcoholic, he's verbally abusive when he drank. Abigail says he's a bully, he won't listen to anyone. Job 19, Job talks about his tormentors who were abusing him. He says, why do you keep tormenting me with such words, verbal abuse? Time after time you insult me and you show no shame for the way that you abuse me. Abuse, when it happens, can cause a lifetime of damage. Unless you learn to deal with it, uh, it can affect you for life. Job 30.27, Job says, The churning inside me never stops. If you've ever been abused, you understand that statement. The churning inside of me never stops. Each day confronts me with more suffering. So given these statistics, either A, you have experienced abuse, or B, you have someone close to you who has. And so either way, today, I want to share with you a message of hope. No matter what you've experienced in the past, no matter what you may be experiencing right now, you can break free from abuse and you can recover. So I'm going to share these seven steps with you today. How do I help someone break free from abuse? First step in breaking free is don't keep it a secret. The most common tendency for those who are being abused is they think, I cannot tell anybody about this. You know, but the truth is, you've got to open up and share the pain. You can't hide it, conceal it, pretend it's not there. We have a saying in Celebrate Recovery. You're only as sick as your secrets. And revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. Now, if you're afraid to talk about it, it's already dominating and controlling your life. Now, the way to get free from it is to face it, to admit it, to open up about it. Jesus said the truth will set you free. But abuse is often called the silent epidemic because the vast majority of women who have experienced it uh, have never told anybody about it. And, you know, women tend to suffer in silence, and men who are, have experienced abuse talk about it even less. But uh, abuse does a crazy thing in our mind. It has an amazing way of creating shame in the victim of abuse. 
It's the victim who is ashamed to talk about it, ashamed to bring it out in the open. If you were abused as a child or teenager or even as an adult, I, I want to tell you today, it is not your fault. It's not your fault. And I know that you, you, well, yeah, but, you know, I did this or I did that or if only I hadn't. It is not your fault. You know, the, the perpetrator of the abuse needs to accept accountability and, and responsibility for it. But it is not your fault. King David spent much of his life dealing with abuse. There were people who tried to hurt him, kill him, abuse him. In fact, in over 100 passages in the Psalms, David expresses hurt and fear, frustration, and anger because of the abuse he was enduring. Now, he uses the word enemies 92 times. And in Psalm 39, 1 through 4, David explains what happened when he tried to keep it a secret. He said, I will not say anything while evil people are near. So I kept quiet, not saying a word, but my suffering only grew worse, and I was overcome with anxiety. The more I thought, the more troubled I became. I could not keep from asking, Lord, how long will I live? When will I die? Tell me how soon my life will end. There are four things that happen uh, when we try and keep abuse a secret. And David lists them for us here. First, he says he's afraid to talk about it in the presence of his abusers. He says, I don't want to talk about it in the presence or while evil people are near. Why? Because they might hurt me worse. And so I don't want to talk about it. Next, he says his silence makes it worse. I kept quiet, not saying a word, but my suffering only grew worse. And those of us who've been abused, we know that the longer you keep it a secret, it doesn't get better, it gets worse. Third, he says that pain internalized into panic. I was overcome with anxiety. People say I'm having panic attacks and anxious all the time. Often the problem is not fear, anxiety, or panic. It's the pain from the abuse that's been pushed down and pushed down and pushed down. David says, I was overcome with anxiety when I kept quiet. And when you learn to deal with the root issue of the abuse, the anxiety, the panic begins to diminish. Fourth, he says, I was overcome with anxiety, and the more I thought, the more troubled I became, and I started asking, how long will I live? When will I die? How soon will my life end? Abuse can actually lead to contemplating suicide. People think, I'm trapped. I cannot get out of this. The, the only way out of this is to take my life. But God cares about your hurt, and God offers you hope. You don't have to stay in that cycle of pain, anxiety, and fear forever. But the first thing you've got to do is you've got to stop being silent. You've got to bring it out into the light. Second thing Bible teaches is you need to name the abuse. You need to recognize it and call it for what it is. You have been sinned against. You have been abused. You know, when people are abused physically or emotionally or in any other way, they often don't recognize it because they're so close to the situation. You may have had a parent or partner or peer or someone in your life abuse you emotionally over and over. And you don't recognize it because you just think that's the way it is. And that begins to seem normal for you. You need somebody with an objective point of view to help you see it. On your outline today, I put eight verses there that, that show eight common characteristics of emotional abuse. And, and I want you to write a word next to each one of those verses. And if these are in your life, you need to recognize it's a form of abuse. Psalm 102.8, David says, My enemies taunt me day after day. They mock and curse me. 
They're always picking on me, provoking me. They won't let me live in peace. The word to write down here is aggravation. You get aggravated because people are taunting you, mocking you, cursing you, picking on you, provoking you. It's aggravation, and it's a form of emotional abuse. Psalm 109.20, David says, They tell lies about me, and they threaten me. That's intimidation. Intimidation is when people in your life are always making threats. They're always threatening you know, harm to you. They're threatening to leave you. They're threatening uh, bad consequences for whatever you do. And this can happen. It can happen at work. It can happen at school, in the neighborhood. It can happen in the home. You know, people are threatening you. They are emotionally abusing you, trying to pressure you into compliance through intimidation. That's abuse. Psalm 22.7, David says of his enemies, they make fun of me and they ridicule me. That's denigration. They're, they're putting you down. Now, we're not talking about good-natured teasing. Good-natured teasing can actually be a sign of love. You know, when you tease somebody you love, you're not mean-spirited about it. But denigration is a mean-spirited scorn or derision. They ridicule you, belittle you, they put you down, they heap scorn on you. You know, they don't, the teasing never stops. And so it becomes denigration and a form of emotional abuse. Psalm 69, David says, I've been insulted, put to shame, and humiliated. Shame is a favorite tool of abusers. You know, if you're experiencing humiliation in a relationship, that's emotional abuse. Psalm 73, 8. They jeer, they use words to kill, they bully their way with words. That's manipulation. They bully their way with words. They're trying to manipulate you by what they say to get you to do what they want you to do. Manipulation is emotional abuse. Psalm 118.13, they push hard to make me fall. That's domination. You know, in, in domination, everything is a power play for control. Who's in charge? Who's pulling the strings? Who's calling the shots? That, you know, it's a, a, a move for control. Somebody wants to dominate. Somebody has to be subordinate. Psalm 31.13, David says, They spread rumors about me and conspire against me. They use gossip to defame me, spread rumors about me, libel, slander, say things that embarrass me. That's defamation. Psalm 35.16, They mock me with the worst kind of profanity and they snarl at me. They use vulgarity, profanity, cursing for shock value. They drop the F-bomb and other, other words. They use crude slang about your body or your gender in order to to condemn you. you know, if any of those eight characteristics are in your life, you're in an abusive relationship. You're being emotionally abused. This is not good-natured stuff here. This is emotional abuse. And if you're doing any of this behavior to someone else, you're being an abuser. You're being abusive. And you need to call it what it is. You need to name it. It's not playfulness or teasing. It's meanness, and it's meant to harm. That recognition leads to the third step. Don't minimalize it or rationalize it. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God comes upon all those who disobey him. You don't say things like, well, they're just having a bad day, or he's basically a good guy, she's basically a good person, but you know, I did this, and it sort of sparked that, and that's how this happened. You know, we don't like to talk about abuse. We don't like to think that we're in an abusive situation. And everything in us wants to minimize it. We want to rationalize it. And one of the effects of abuse is that in your own mind, it skews your perspective. 
And you begin to think, well, this is, everybody does this. This is just natural, it's normal, it's just the way relationships work, but that is not true. And so whether it happened a long time ago or whether it's happening right now, don't minimalize it, don't rationalize it, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse their sin. God can see through the excuses of abuse. God recognizes it as disobedience and sin. And we need to, too, if we're going to get healthy. Fourth key to helping someone who's going through abuse is to help them to a safe place if necessary. You know, maybe they just need to get out of the situation and get to a safe place. There's not a single verse in the Bible that says that a child or a wife or a husband has to remain in a situation where they're in physical danger or where they're sexually abused. There is not one verse that says that. And anybody who tells you that there is is manipulating, they are perverting Scripture in order to, to maintain their control. And you need to get out of that relationship right now. Now, I did not say that you need to divorce them. I did not say that at all. God hates abuse. God hates divorce because God recognizes that divorce is oftentimes just a different level of abuse. It creates its own set of, of damages and dangers for relationships. It's not the immediate solution. In fact, it can even be more unhealthy than staying in the abusive situation. So the solution is not to jump to divorce. But you may need a period of separation, a long period of separation, to work on your individual health for the purpose of reconciliation as a couple. You know, that's what it means in the wedding vows when it talks about for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. Sometimes the only way you can get somebody's attention is to move out of the picture so they can see what it's really like. Sometimes the only way you can work on the health of the relationship is to separate for a time and work on your individual health. It's separation for the purpose of restoration and reconciliation as a couple. And if you're in an abusive situation, you need to get to a safe place right away. And then you start praying, God, I want you to heal my marriage, heal my spouse, heal me. It's not going to happen overnight. You're going to have to do some hard work on yourself, some hard work on your relationship. And so you need to be, may need to be separated for a season of time. But we give up too soon and we jump to divorce as the solution. If people spend as much time, energy, and money on counseling and getting healthy relationally uh, as they do on getting divorced, there'd be far less divorce and far healthier couples. So how can I best help a friend that's going through abuse? Well, Hebrews 13.3 says, Look on victims of, of abuse as if what's happened to them happened to you. You are to act as if it was happening to you. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens. Remember, we talked a couple of weeks ago about that those burdens are like boulders that are too big for one person to carry. Abuse is a burden that one person cannot carry alone. It's too big. And so we step in and help carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Now, abuse can happen anywhere, not just in the home. It can happen at work, it can happen at school, it can happen in the neighborhood, it can happen uh, with extended family. But why does it happen? Why do people abuse people anyway? You know, we tend to think of abusers as being strong and powerful and assertive, but typically abusers struggle with insecurity. 
Typically, abusers are weak in controlling their emotions. They're powerless and afraid in life. Typically, abusers have been abused themselves. Hurt people hurt people. They learned that behavior somewhere, and now they're passing it on to someone else. But you've got to deal with it. You can't pretend like it's not happening, and you may need to take steps to move out of an abusive situation. You may need to get to a safe place so that all involved can work on their health. Number five, don't confront an abuser by yourself. You know, don't walk out of here thinking, well, I'm going to go home and take care of this. That, that's unwise, and it's not safe. You know, you may have somebody who's been abusing you at, at work. If you go to that person by yourself, you're asking for trouble. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, by yourself, you're unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. Can you get a third person? A three-stranded rope is not easily snapped. You know, sometimes you need a group intervention. And you don't go as a group uh, for revenge or to retaliate. You go in a spirit of love. Not a spirit of condemnation, but a spirit of love and restoration. Something's broken here. We want to fix it. The Bible says when you go to someone who's taken in a sin, you go to restore them gently. You go with a humane, loving manner. You deal with the truth, and you set up an environment of accountability. You turn the truth, the light of truth, on that area of darkness, and you expose the secrets. Because when you turn the light on it, that's when the healing begins. Hurt festers in the dark. Healing begins in the light. Ephesians 5, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil with darkness. Instead, rebuke and expose them. You turn on the light. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but when the light shines on them, it becomes clear how evil these things are. When your light shines, it will expose their evil deeds. So you shine the light on it, but you don't do it by yourself. You have to have someone with you. Sixth step in recovery. Begin the healing process. Job had some advice given to him by a friend 5,000 years ago. It makes perfect sense today if you're struggling with the pain of abuse. He says, put your heart right. Reach out to God. Put away any evil and wrong from your home. Then face the world again, firm and courageous. Then all your troubles will fade from your memory like floods that are past and remembered no more. Your life will be brighter than the sunshine at noon, and life's darkest hours will shine like the dawn. All your troubles will fade from your memory. Your darkest moments will shine like the dawn. How do you get there? How do you get there? Well, at first, you put your heart right. You, you make the courageous decision to stop calling it a secret. You move past the denial. You speak up and you name it for what it is. And then you reach out to God. You turn to Jesus Christ, your Savior. You know, he's called your Savior for a reason. Because he saves you from things like abuse. You put away any evil and wrong from your home. You get away from evil. Get evil out of your life, out of your house. Clean house if you have to. Clean house relationally if you have to. But you've got to get away from the abuse because when you get help, that's when you have hope. Rockbrook, we have Celebrate Recovery, meets here every Wednesday night at 6.30. Every Wednesday, 6.30. It would be a great place to start working on your health. Uh, in your worship folder, there's a little insert about Hope Haven of Cass County. 
Uh, Linda Tesser is uh, coming here. She's the director of Hope Haven. She's coming to Rockbrook next Thursday night, May 23rd, 7 o'clock. Uh, she'll be here to talk about their services and about opportunities that we can have to volunteer and help at, at uh, Hope Haven. We've got a number of folks. We've got some small groups and some individuals who are connected there, doing ministry there. Uh, Hope Haven is one of the ministries that we support financially every month as a church. And so I'd encourage you, if, if this is an issue that you have an interest or a need, uh, to come to that meeting Thursday night. Finally, there's one thing you have to do if you're going to get healed, and that is you must let God settle the score. You don't try to get even, you don't retaliate, you don't try to hurt them back. That, that just makes the situation worse. Now, when you have a relationship with somebody, you, you've got three potential positions. Uh, you can be beneath them morally, you can be even with them morally, or you can have the moral high ground. Those are the three options that you've got. Now, if you've done nothing to me and I hurt you, that makes me lower than you. If you hurt me and I hurt you back, then I get even. That's the phrase we use. I'm going to get even. Well, that just puts you on the same level with that person. You're no better than the perpetrator when you get even. But when you forgive them, you move to a higher level. You move to the moral high ground. 1 Peter 3.9 says, Never repay one wrong with another or one abusive word with another. You cuss at me, I cuss back at you. You yell at me, I yell back at you. You hurt me, I hurt you back. All it does is just make you both even. What it really does is it makes you both evil. He says... Never repay one wrong with another or one abusive word with another. Instead, repay with a blessing. That is what you are called to do so that you inherit a blessing. If you want God's blessing in your life, you've got to be different. You can't do what they did. You've got to be different. And if you've been abused physically or sexually or verbally, you, you need to understand there's one person in the universe who understands you completely. And that person is Jesus Christ. Christ understands because he was abused more than anybody else. The Bible says this in Isaiah 53. It says, he was wounded and crushed. That's abuse. He was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten and bruised. That's abuse. He was beaten and bruised so we could have peace. He was mocked and whipped. That's abuse. So we could be healed. Nobody's been abused more than Jesus. He knows the pain because he took the sin of the entire world, including the abuse that you've had to endure, including the abuse that you may have inflicted on someone. Christ took all that in his body on the cross. He died for that so we could be healed. But if you're going to be healed, you've got to meet the healer. You're not going to get healed on your own. Multitudes of people have let Jesus Christ heal them from their verbal, physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. He understands. He knows. He feels the pain. Psalm 34 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who have been crushed. You know, nothing crushes your spirit more than abuse. To feel demeaned, degraded, demoralized, devalued, put down, mistreated. Christ knows what that's like. And he will take care of you. But the starting point in your healing is you've got to get to know your healer. To recognize that Jesus Christ took that abuse, that beating, that bruising. He took all the mean, evil things that were said and done throughout history. And he bore them on the cross. 
you recognize that Christ is your healer and you ask Christ to come into your heart, your mind, your body and heal you. And he will. He will. Now, when Jesus was abused, did he retaliate? No. Christ never verbally abused those who verbally abused him. When he suffered, he didn't make any threats, but he left everything to the one who judges fairly. He left everything to the one who judges fairly. One day God's going to balance the books. One day God is going to right all the wrongs. One day God is going to settle the score. And God can do that far better than you and I can. He can do a whole lot better job of settling the score than I can. And so I just leave it in his hands. He's God, I'm not. He's God, you're not. Now I know this, this can be a tough message because it can bring up a lot of emotions. But one reason why we have to deal with abuse is not ignore it is because abuse is contagious. Abuse gets passed on from generation to generation to generation. Somebody's got to break the cycle. Somebody's got to break the cycle. You know, my dad was abusive to me. His dad, my grandpa, was abusive to him. I don't know how far that chain went back. But I know this. I broke that chain. I broke that chain. And today, you can break the chain in your life. But you've got to come to your healer, Jesus Christ. You know, if you saw abuse growing up or experienced it in your family, you learn some patterns of behavior. Uh, abuse is much more likely to be passed on. You know, there's a Bible verse that says, train up the child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And we latch on to that, that verse as Christians. But, you know, the, the reverse of that verse is true. You know, you teach a kid godly stuff when he's little, it, it'll see him through his life. But you take a kid and you put him in an abusive situation when he's little, he'll pack that around for the rest of his life as well unless he learns how to deal with it. This year, 10 million kids in America will watch their parents in a domestic violence situation. And study after study after study has shown that those kids are twice as likely to abuse their own families when they grow up. Somebody's got to break the chain. Is it going to be you? It can be today. Let's pray. You know, I know this message may have been painful for many of you, and, and I want you to know that whatever you've gone through, whether you've been abused or the abuser, maybe as you read through that list, you realize, man, I'm in an abusive relationship. I didn't even know it. Maybe as you read through that list, you, you've come to realize, I'm being abusive. It's just what I grew up with. I, I didn't know. Whether you've been the victim or the victimizer, the abused or the abuser, there is a way out. And God cares about you and you don't have to stay in that pain any longer. There's healing for both victims and abusers. But it starts with salvation. It starts with coming to Christ, the healer. And so I'd invite you just to open your heart and mind. Just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need help. I need to be healed from my hurts. I need to be freed from my past. I need the power to develop new patterns. I need a new mind, a new heart, a new outlook. I need to be a new creation. And so, Christ, I come to you. I invite you into every area of my life. Shine the light of truth 
and the secrets of my life and start doing your work of healing. I'm going to trust you with my hurts. I thank you for dying on the cross for me and I just pray that you would heal me, that you would strengthen me, that you would make me whole. If you've prayed that prayer today, God has heard you. God, God will come into your life. Would you just say a thank you to Jesus Christ for hearing you, responding to your call? God, I pray you'd help each of us to take the tough steps to grow into the man or woman that you want us to be, that, that the pain of the past would move away like a flood and that our darkest hours would shine like the noonday sun. God, we thank you for the hope we have in Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.